next. I mean, it's not just, it might not be just such a simple, uh, you know? What in God's holy name are you blathering about? I'll tell you what I'm blathering about. I've got information, man. New shit has come to light. Welcome to Cinemaholics. I am John Agroni, as usual, and with me I have Will Ashton. Hi, Will. Hi, John. We're doing this bonus discussion of Chaos Walking, and one of the reasons we're doing this outside of the normal format of the main show is because so many movies came out this week. We thought that it would be a little bit easier. (laughs) Too many. Uh, We thought it'd be easier just to, I don't want to say get this one out of the way. That's kind of mean to this movie, right? But uh, give give it some extra time. I mean, this one, it's had such a long production, such a long road to the finish line. We figured, you know, why keep it waiting? It it had to wait this long to get to theaters. <laughs> Let's just get it out of the way pretty early on. It was filmed all the way back in like 2017, I think, or something. So let's just, it, it, yeah, it let's deserves it. Yeah. It de- yeah, it deserves it deserves a lot of time. And Abiel Chessie is not interested in seeing this one anyway. So Will and I decided, you know what? Let's just knock this one out on a Thursday. And that's why you're hearing this now. Okay. Chaos Walking. It is, as we have alluded to, a film that has been long in the making. It's actually based on a YA trilogy called Chaos Walking, and it's a sci-fi kind of action-adventure western trilogy of books by Patrick Ness. And the first book is called The Knife of Letting The Knife of Never Letting Go. Kind of a convoluted title, I think. But well, have you have you ever read these books? Or did you even hear about these books before the movie stuff was involved? No, I mean, my only, I think, familiarity with Patrick Ness, the author, is that he wrote the source material for A Monster Calls, I believe, from a few years ago, if I recall correctly. That might be true. I never saw Monster Calls. So, uh, yeah, I'm not as familiar, but yeah. And uh, I know he, I think he helped with the screenplay for this one. I think he also wrote the screenplay for A Monster Calls as well. So he has. I do know that. Yeah, yeah, he did. He co-wrote this screenplay with Christopher Ford. And it's directed by Doug Lyman. And we can, we might as well. I'm, don't worry. I'm going to say <laughs> <laughs> it's such a complicated thing. So I, yeah, we're kind of like, oh gosh, where do we even begin with this thing? So let, let's take it back to the basics. Lionsgate originally announced that they had gotten the rights to make this film. So so for context, like 2011, decade ago, almost, almost a decade ago, because it was like later 2011, we had just had Hunger Games. Um, the Harry Potter series just ended. And YA was really like a hot commodity as a, I don't want to say genre, because it's not a genre necessarily. It's sort of like a, it's like a series, a subgroup of films, a category of films, maybe more similar to like the superhero blockbuster kind of thing. And it was the kind of thing where everybody wanted to make the next Hunger Games, the next Harry Potter and, and all of that. And Chaos Walking was originally going to be kind of like that it was supposed to be coming out around the same time as something like the maze runner and what happened though was it it took them a while to get this thing like really set up in pre-production they didn't have it cast until 2016 but it was looking pretty promising in 2016 because they got daisy ridley and tom holland so more context a lot of you might remember this tom holland in 2016 he's coming right off of captain america civil war you know his breakout role and nowadays we see so many films with tom holland it's you know it's kind of easy to forget that like nobody knew who this guy was before captain america civil war except maybe right. if, you know like people more familiar with like british television and all that oh and the big fans of in the heart of the sea of course uh well, I oh i even forgot are you yeah. he was in in the heart of sea i know he was in yeah. lost city of zed which was like mm-hmm. the other kind of like forgotten thing but okay <laughs> that said uh 
Yeah, people were still, they weren't super familiar with Tom Holland quite yet. They knew that he'd been cast as Spider-Man and then this movie comes along and Lionsgate is like, okay, we get this guy, you know, our sci-fi YA movie is going to be all the more successful. It's a very smart move on their part. They also have Daisy Ridley coming right off of Star Wars The Force Awakens, which had just come out like six months ago at that point. Clearly, they were shooting for a film that was going to make who knows, like seven, eight hundred million dollars at the box office, they would hope, you know, probably more like 500 if things had gone according to plan. So 2017 rolls around and they're finally finishing up casting. It's just taking a while for them to get all of that stuff done. There was there were a bunch of rewrites um, and, you know, I didn't get into this, but Charlie Kaufman originally had a draft of the screenplay, but also Jamie Linden, John Lee Hancock, Gary Spinelli. Uh, it wasn't until like the very end that we get to the Christopher Ford and Patrick Ness version of the screenplay. And we really have no idea how different this film would have been under those other pens. But clearly Lionsgate, it almost feels like they have this they have the rights to this thing that they really believe could be massive. Like they really have high hopes for this. And it's almost like they are they really want to play it safe. They really want to make sure they don't make any like huge unforced errors with this thing, explaining why the development took so long. I mean, it's 2011, 10 years ago. And by the time they actually started shooting the film and it wrapped sometime around like late 2017 and they start showing it to test audiences, it, that part doesn't go well. So people rejected this film apparently in the focus groups. So they had to approve a bunch of rewrites and reshoots. And the reshoots though got delayed even further because by this point, okay, we've had Spider-Man Homecoming has come out. Star Wars The Last Jedi has coming out. Uh, Murder in the Orient Express with Daisy, Daisy Ridley as well. At this point, Tom Holland and Daisy Ridley are so busy, their careers are so slammed that they couldn't even get them for the reshoots. And so they had to keep delaying that. They didn't, they weren't able to do just a month of reshoots until spring 2019. And I think like March 2019 was the original release date. So that's kind of telling you how just Lionsgate was really, really dealing with a lot of air issues with getting this film put out there and done. A lot of chaos. So, a lot. Of, there you go. That's the word I'm searching for. So they finally have the reshoots done and they were going to be like, all right, so then they were going to let it sit for another year because at that point, you know, 20, 2019 is basically all set and and finished and, you know, in terms of what's going to come out. So then 2020 was going to be the year, right? Well, Ashton, 2020, that's when this movie came out. Uh, in theory, yeah. In, in, the, in their <laughs> hopes, that's uh, when it would have come out. Or at least I think that's when they wanted to just dump it at that point, just kind of get it off their hands. Probably, but- yeah. Fede, we have to mention Fede Alvarez actually directed the reshoots too. So another director okay, coming yeah. in for Doug yeah. Lyman. So, yeah. Yeah. Cause I, yeah, I, I remember hearing that Doug Lyman was either only partially involved with the reshoots or not at all. I, I don't know exactly how uh, involved he was with the uh, reshaping of the film, but um, I'd love yeah, to I mean, ask him someday. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, assuming that, cause he also made, um, what was it? Lockdown uh, not too long ago. That would have been during like 2020 and stuff. I don't know if that, kept him off of this yeah and and i think like around the time that you know this thing was like really hitting the shelf was when american made was you know in its final stages so he was oh, yeah, pretty busy true. yeah i mean he keeps he keeps busy but um yeah i mean I, I i'm assuming the reason they didn't just put this on vod like they did with a lot of films uh in 2020 was because a it was super expensive so they wanted to make as much money yeah. as they could they wanted to recoup 100 million dollar budget Right. They wanted to recoup as much of this as possible. And two, I'm assuming contract wise that Daisy Ridley and Tom Holland, like they had in their contracts, this 
got a theatrical release of some sort um, based on their like you know massive success on those properties that you just mentioned. That would be my guess, but I don't exactly know why they pushed it to theaters. But yeah, we're kind of in this point now where like theaters are slowly starting to open up again, but they're kind of doing a lot of like testing the waters right now where like studios are putting the, the movies that they seem less sure on or the movies they kind of gave up on yeah. just to kind of like see if people will go to the theaters. And, and Chaos Walking was kind of the perfect candidate for that for that reason. Actually, to your point there, they released this early in South Korea just a couple of weeks ago, like if like, yeah, like a week and a few days ago. And that's where like the majority of its box office has come so far since it's just now hitting the U.S. And they're they're trying, man, like they, they have an IMAX release for this. They the only thing, though, is that they aren't really marketing it. I didn't watch a trailer for this, partly because I didn't see any marketing whatsoever. Like I, you know, I'm not the kind of person who watches a lot of television, like with ads or anything. So I don't know if a lot of other people were exposed to this movie, but I went into it. I didn't even know the premise of this. All I knew was that it was a sci-fi YA sort of thing where Tom Holland and Daisy Ridley has blonde hair for some reason. That's it. That's all I knew. And I, I didn't see any pieces about it. I didn't see any, any like magazines or like just any ads or anything at all and i wonder if maybe part of that is that they this budget is so big this movie has only made seven hundred thousand dollars so far at the box office we'll see how it do, does this weekend i think at this point they're like we can't afford you know to keep putting money into this thing we kind of have to dump it like new mutants was last year yeah i mean one thing that stands out to me i mean i won't share my thoughts on the film too early but it did stand out to me that this doesn't look like a $100 million production. Like, it looks like a $50 production, which I'm assuming is because they probably spent, like, $50 million on the original shoot and then, like, $50 million to, like, basically do it over again. They're saying it was only an extra 15 but I don't okay. know if I believe that. They, they yeah, yeah, I think yeah, the I budget was probably more. But, I mean, that's close to what you're talking about. I mean, it's not $50 million. It's looking that it was probably more like 80 85 which yeah. I, I think they cut a lot from this film, which might explain why it yeah. costs more than it looks in the final product. That could explain it because there's like Nick Jonas is in this, but I kept forgetting he was in it. Same with David Oyelowo. Like they both just kind of like come in out of the narrative. And I kept wondering, like, is there stuff that was like meant for their stories that just kind of like got pushed to the side? But I don't really know what exactly got cut. Yeah. There there are locations that are mentioned in this where you're like, oh, when are they going to go to that location? And they never do. You know, there's character threads that are never tied up that clearly they were teasing for a sequel. There were moments where I was like, oh, this must have been a flashback sort of thing, particularly with David Oyelowo. But they just scrapped that entirely, probably because the flashback stuff would have been probably too, like, bad (laughs) or bad in the sense of like too harrowing to watch. Um, considering what happens yeah and there are like uh there are two climaxes basically as well uh <laughs> which is a little odd but nonetheless yeah yeah okay well uh let's talk then about the movie itself i mean we're like halfway into this and we haven't even explained what it what is this movie and i guess it, all of that is really important though just because this is a i personally think this is a movie that's probably more interesting to talk about the production <laughs> than it is the uh the actual movie but who knows actually i don't know you just saw this movie like just now so you're mm. fresh off of chaos walking we're gonna get your instant fresh, yeah. reaction so uh what what is this movie about will ashton and, and uh yeah what'd you think uh, so, yeah, I mean, as you're alluding to, this is a uh, sort of sci-fi fantasy Western premise in that it involves characters in a not too distant future in another world. I don't know if they ever say what planet it is, but they call it New World. New World. It doesn't yeah. have like a weird name or anything, you know, like it's not Triton. It's just New yeah. World. I mean, it looks kind of like they show like from the exterior, like it looks kind of like Earth, but if it had like Saturn rings, 
around it. So, which to me is funny. It's like well, we it can't just look like Earth. Audiences will get confused. So, <laughs> give yeah. it a ring. <laughs> Stuff that makes sense. Yeah, I mean, sometimes it kind of. I mean, I just recently saw Love and Monsters, and it kind of looks like the same world as that, like kind of grittier version yeah. of that world, and like with like a few less monsters running around. Immediately thought of that movie. Much better movie, I think. Yeah, I thought that was pretty good. I, I I know you talked about it already on the show, so I won't share my thoughts on that, I guess. But um, yeah, so basically in this world, for whatever reason, in this planet, human men, men have the ability or they, they can't help having their thoughts projected or heard by everyone around them. Like whatever they're thinking at any given time is seen and heard visually as well as, you know, audibly. And uh, because of this, later on, we learn that the men, the planet has been inhabited only by men. All the women are gone through like this, you know, grave tragedy that's only really alluded to throughout. And uh, you know, Tom Holland is this uh, kind of plucky seventeen or something year old kid who is working on the farm with his dad, played by um, Damien Bashir, right? Bashir. Uh, Damien Bashir. Yeah, Damien Bashir. Um, yeah, his adoptive father. Yeah, and uh, you know, he's he's just trying to be a good kid, please everybody, but obviously his uh, kind of puberty set allows his uh, noise to be a lot more present than it is uh, for other people, other men in town, but that becomes more apparent when the first woman in years comes crash landing onto Earth, played by Daisy Ridley, and uh, her story is obviously very mysterious, and when she has to team up with uh, Tom Holland, uh, a lot of uh, hijinks ensue from there. Hijinks, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a lot of trekking and there's a lot of walking around. And the, so they call it the noise, which is whatever a man is thinking, it like it almost like it exudes out of their head through like visible ultraviolet sound waves. And it's so pronounced that like if you can really control it, you can even conjure up illusions based on your memories. And it's, it's a cool setup, I think. I, the premise is interesting enough to like set up a plucky you called him plucky that was what i was thinking too like a very quirky dynamic between him and this viola character i was thinking a lot of the movie wally honestly where okay. you know he's because because he's like wandering this like dystopian place and he's just he's very lonely and you know he's not really aware of like how things got to the way they are but then a love interest kind of crashes on this planet <laughs> you, you see what i'm saying and kind of just like shows him maybe there's more to life than he thought it's it's very YA, i guess oh it's absolutely YA. yeah i mean as you mentioned earlier it, it does pretty much seem like it's cut from the same cloth as uh both maze runner and uh the hunger games like it's basically kind of like that darker gritty world of the hunger games but then like the concept of Maze Runner, so it's 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 very easy to see from Lion Gate's standpoint why they wanted to push this forward and for it to be their next big franchise starter. But alas, yeah. things didn't quite go as planned. <laughs> Mads Mikkelsen is the big bad in here. You can really tell from the get go. He plays the mayor of this colony that they live in, and, and yeah, you you can easily quickly tell there this guy is bad news. Not just because it's it's Mad Mickelson who usually has a pretty haunting persona, but they really I don't know they really make this Todd Hewitt guy played by Tom Holland just seem really dense about like the circumstances of what has caused the world to be the way it is. Like, I guess they, they play it up a little bit, like how naive he is, how he just sort of like assumes things, everything people have to has told him has been like very accurate, but clearly the audience is way ahead of this dude for the most part. Um, but yeah, I, at least I liked Mickelson in this. I thought, you know, he's always a good bad guy. 
Oh, for sure. I mean, yeah, as you mentioned, like they kind of maybe overdo the villainous part of it. Like they give him a scar and a big hat and a pelt <laughs> and, you know, like a menacing growl. And it's just like, you know, yeah, yeah. You, you can kind of just stick to two of those. You don't have to do everything. <laughs> He's like the Mr. Potato Man of uh, Potato Head yeah. film. Yeah. <laughs> Bad guy tropes. Uh, David Oyelowo is in this as well as a kind of zealot who kind of worships noise and is very like controlling with people in this colony this only men colony of like you don't hide your noise you have to like really like pronounce it and he's he's very miscast i have to say right i mean i don't know if i'm alone in this oh yellow i i did not find him frightening at all he gets one scene in this where i'm like that's actually pretty terrifying and it's toward the end but all the way up until that i was just sort of like oh you know maybe he's kind of like the nice you know guy who's just kind of like got a chip on his shoulder but i don't know he he, it felt like a performance that should have been a bit darker i don't know if i have a weird hang up on that oh i didn't really mind a yellow that much mainly because i just felt like the movie mostly forgot about him for most of the film like it just kind of felt like they never really figured out what his deal was. So they just kind of, you know, left him to the side. But performance wise, I thought he was fine. But the only person I felt was really, truly miscast was Nick Jonas. And I think you were mentioning this before. Like he's trying to be like sort of menacing, like malicious in some way. And I just don't buy it from him. Not to say that he is incapable of doing that. But in this film, it just kind of felt like like he was sort of trying to be like both like kind of like a dumb jock kind of guy and also like a genuine threatening, menacing dude. And I just don't. I didn't really buy it throughout. I disagree. I don't think I don't think that's the point of his character. I don't think he's I think the point is he's trying to come off threatening and he just doesn't. The movie kind of frames yeah, him fair. around like wanting to be like living up to his dad, you know, because his dad is Mads Mikkelsen, right? And right. Matt, he clearly like doesn't have the respect of his dad and he clearly like messes up a lot and he wants yeah. to be tough. But like the movie constantly like knocks him down a peg. So sure, I, yeah. I had the same feeling. Well, I was like, uh, he's kind of miscast here. But then eventually I was like, oh, I kind of see what they're going for. Like, it makes sense conceptually. It's just an execution. It's not a very entertaining character. It's not he's not he's not in the movie enough for me to like connect or care about him whatsoever. But even still, like, I don't really buy Nick Jonas as someone who's like befuddled or like not like truly that like uh, overwhelmed in that way. I just You wanted Noah Centineo to be in this, didn't you? Um, I don't know about him per se, but <laughs> I don't know. I just, I think considering that Tom Holland is a lot better kind of doing that, like befuddled, like boyish kind of thing than like someone like Nick Jonas, even though I, I they're obviously playing totally different type of characters. I just don't. Yeah. They're um, rivals I, and yeah, yeah, two sides of the same coin yeah. in a way. I mean, Nick Jonas, he's still, I mean, obviously he's very accomplished as a musician. I just don't think he really found his niche yet as an actor. I know he did the, um. Uh, first Jumanji, Jumanji movie, but, yeah. Well, he was in the second uh, one too. Oh, is he? I forgot. I mean, I mostly have forgotten the <laughs> second one, <Yeah. laughs> admittedly. But um, uh, yeah. And I mean, he's kind of coming into his own, I guess, as an actor. I, I don't really quite know where he's gonna land, but I imagine they're gonna probably cast him in like some Netflix rom com. He's gonna be a, a yeah. real heartthrob, and that's gonna be his niche, and we'll go from there. It's interesting to see Cynthia Erivo in this. You know, this is way before. Harriet and some of the roles that kind of pushed her her star power a little bit further in recent years. Uh, but again, this, another character definitely feels like probably had more to do in the original draft and is kind of maybe would have had more to do in a sequel, but I just don't think a sequel is ever going to happen with this. And then I got to say, I think here here's the thing with Daisy Ridley. So the casting is good. It makes perfect sense. Daisy Ridley is a very talented actor. And I think she and Tom Holland, it, there is something there to like make that dynamic work. 
The problem with this movie, the only thing about this movie that I think is a very, very iffy flaw is that too much of it is Tom Holland, his thoughts embarrassing himself in front of her and her barely reacting to it. That is 90% of this movie. And it really gets old after a while. Now, I give this movie a lot of slack. I actually kind of think it's pretty enjoyable to watch and it's not bad. Um, And I, I have a lot of nice things to say about it. But that one aspect of it is the reason I think that most people are probably going to tune out of this because it's a lot of just Tom Holland communicating constantly. Like we just we always know what's going on with him and we just don't know anything about her, really. Like there are just some moments where she kind of opens up a little bit. But I don't know. I think that this character just doesn't get to have even close to the same amount of interaction with the audience or with Tom Holland. So it's just such an imbalanced pair and an imbalanced dynamic so that that to me is what holds this movie back from being i think right now it's watchable i think it's you know entertaining enough you watch it once and forget about it in a couple of months but it could have been much better i think i think if they had really handled that character dynamic this could have been like an easy recommend but uh, as it is i think it's a very very cautious recommend but even though i i I've had fun with it for the most part but uh, it, it feels like you're probably a bit more negative than i am i uh- yeah, but I don't think I'm that negative compared to other people. Like, for instance, I've been seeing a lot on either Rotten Tomatoes or Letterboxd, like one star, 1.5 out of five star reviews from this, probably because of the reputation that the movie has received. I think people kind of had their knives out for it already. And similar to you, I, I think I wanted to give it a little bit of slack because it's like this movie's already been through so much that I don't want to come in. <laughs> To this, like, really that too mean nice. to it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, mainly because, I, like you were saying before, like, the premise of it is interesting, and I think there's a cool movie to be made here. Like, I think there's something here that's, you know, it's not just a tired retread of a lot of other um, why properties, even though it feels like that throughout. Like, I think the premise itself could have been a little bit more, like you said, quirky or a little bit more diverse in some way that it could have stand out. It could stand out in a very crowded market. And I think the movie itself does, to some extent, salvage itself like I, I remember hearing when the original Doug Lyman cut came out that it was apparently unreleasable and I don't know if I ever heard why but I, I mean I'm assuming it's because the, the premise of it which is probably why the pre-production went so long as well is that it's such a hard thing to visualize the noise and to like make that a, a concept that's understandable and digestible yeah. to a wide audience and I don't you know I don't envy them for that because that is something that's really that's easier to do on the page and it is on the screen but I think the problem with the movie is that they course corrected it too much to the point where everything is just been so like desensitized kind of they wrung out everything that might have been quirkier or weirder about this film to the point where it just feels like kind of a like vanilla version of this f- film and i i felt because of that like the the scripting of it just felt very basic like it felt like a lot of studio notes dictated the reshoots to the point where I just didn't really feel like these characters came alive. Like a lot of it just felt like setting things up. Like a lot of the internal dialogue didn't feel sincere to me. Like you said, there's not a whole lot of chemistry between Daisy Ridley and Tom Holland, but that's not to say that their performances are bad. I think, I think they're both fine. I think Daisy Ridley is a little bit better in this than Tom Holland. Um, I, I I do think Tom Holland general is a pretty natural actor, but in this, he, he kind of went back and forth and I don't exactly know uh, if that was just because the reshoots or what, but I, I think, by and large, like as a world building exercise and as a failed franchise starter, I think it could have been a lot worse. I mean, I'm very curious to know what the original cut of this version is, of this movie mm-hmm. is because, I mean, if it was truly release the Lyman cut, yes, uh, I say release the Charlie Kaufman cut. I want to see that script. <laughs> I want to see what he did with at this. least read it. 
Yeah. Yeah. Because I think, as you were probably mentioning before, like his version of this probably would have been a lot more like weird and introspective, even though I believe he came onto this as like a studio for hire kind of screenwriter to like, I think basically just uh, get some financial support during his uh, novel writing process. But um, I, I don't really know what he did, if he did anything unique with the script. But I, I'd be much more curious to read that version of this and whatever they ultimately put together. Because it just, like I said, it just feels like a very studio-mandated film. Like, let's just pre- basically try to salvage it. It's not like a do-little situation where, like, you can tell, like, this they kept throwing this stuff in to, like, make it more appealing to kids. And it's awkward and weird. Like, it's not that. It is, like you said, pretty watchable. But I just feel like it's ultimately a fairly generic film to the point where I'm like you said, I'm probably going to forget about most of it later on. The story around the film is ultimately more interesting than the film itself. And I wasn't super invested by the end, which is unfortunate because I, I like the people involved and I want it to be better. Yeah, the, the ending is pretty weak just because there, there aren't enough set pieces in this that really stand out. The, just, there aren't set pieces in this in general. They're mostly just sort of chase scenes, very generic action scenes. There's like, swimming through rapids quicker than the other person you know like riding a motorcycle and dodging but none of it is very stagey none of the action is very interesting i think the things that stand out in this movie and make it entertaining enough are like you're kind of saying i guess the world building implications there are some like sparkles or spackles of just interesting commentary here of like what would society look like if men could not hide their thoughts i i wanted more of that for sure but i liked how it raised this guy who is just so blunt and you know there there is this whole sort of thing i think of like well don't guys already just sort of say every little thing that pops into their head we can definitely joke about that but i mean obviously like there's tons of things that guys are thinking that like we we keep to ourselves and obviously we don't want other people to hear because we're guys and we're awful (laughs) you know we we have some dark thoughts uh and i think that's where the charlie coffin script probably would have gone a little bit farther with i don't know yeah and this is the uh very much the pg-13 version of this film i mean to the point where it's just like yeah I mean, no, I, I'm not blaming it. I'm just, I, it's anything. I'm just saying, like, if this were, I guess, closer to reality, especially for a straight, heterosexual uh, boy who just discovered women for the first time, I, I think there would be a lot more X-rated thoughts that come out of his head other than... I think they allude, though, if you're if you're not around any sort of media or culture or anything to sort of sexualize you, it, it is sort of like he would be kind of innocent. I think that's how they're trying to get away with that. That's I don't an interesting know. idea. I don't think they communicate that, but I think that is an interesting thought. And I yeah, you kind of have to reach for it yourself. <laughs> that's just what I did. But I, I do appreciate things in here, too, of like, you know, he has just, you know, it's very matter of fact that he has two gay fathers and like I, I do like moments like that that just let this sort of be a little bit different from mainstream, even though it is pretty mainstream in other ways. I, I thought that's uh, the scene where he fights a squid just like totally naked. I was like, where is that part? Where is that energy? That energy should be in every scene of this film where he's just kind of going more all out. I would have liked that a lot more. But you know what? As it is, I'm an extremely low B minus. I was basically C, C plus for you know, most of this film, but I think what brings it to B minus for me is that I do think that it is a very entertaining mess. And uh, I'm, I, I'm here for it. I think that if of the movies coming out this week, it's actually one of the stronger ones, I think, at least in terms of having a nice time with it, watching it with friends and having fun conversations about it, even though it's not going to rock your world, your, your new world. But yeah, where do you land? Uh, yeah, I'm a little bit more negative than you ultimately, just because I don't, I don't really find it that entertaining. Like I said, it is watchable. Like I don't, 
I, I think they salvage it enough to the point where like it, it doesn't become an absolute mess. You're able to follow it pretty well. The action is also decently clean, which I was surprised about. Like I was able to follow a lot of the action beats fairly well, with the exception of the end. The end kind of got a little bit messy in that regard, but uh, not to the point where I was like totally, you know, lost at sea with it. Um, you know, I, I think for its, its target audience for like tweens, I think they'll probably think it's fine. Like, like you said, I think they might be a little bit bored by it, but I don't think they're going to be like totally disinterested because it, it is pretty straightforward. They kind of stripped it down to its essentials. So I don't, I don't think they like waste time or anything like that. But at the same time, as you were suggesting, there's a funnier and a weirder movie in that to this premise that I think didn't come out or didn't reach its potential. And I think that's Ultimately, what kind of disinterests me throughout is that, like, this is such an interesting premise. This is such a intriguing launching point for a film that shouldn't be this generic. And I guess because the studio ultimately favored something that was just sort of uh, cut and dry and, and salvageable, that it, it kind of lost its pulp along the way. And, and I think for me that that makes it disappointing in a different respect in that, like, it is kind of similar to something like uh, New Mutants and that... Ultimately, it's just sort of dull. It it doesn't really, you know, rock the boat outside of its outlandish production. But um, I mean, I didn't hate it. I think it's a fairly serviceable C. Like I, I think it's it 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 could have been way way worse than it ultimately was. And I, I do applaud the people involved for for making it uh, certainly a lot easier to digest than it could have been otherwise. But at the same time, you know, it it doesn't really leave much of an impression. So. It, it it wasn't salvaged that much, uh, but right. yeah, uh, it's okay. It's just okay. All right. Well, uh, I think, uh, yeah, we're, we're not too far apart, I don't think. And yeah, if you want to see it for yourself, you can watch it in select theaters right now. Um, I believe it's playing across the U.S. Um, as of tomorrow. And so if it is safe for you to do so, you may consider. But of course, as always, we, uh, we definitely urge you to social distance, wear masks, all of that stuff. Uh, stay safe out there. Get the vaccine when you can. And uh, yeah, we'll see. We'll see how close this thing gets to a hundred million dollar box office. I don't, I don't know if it's going to make it for some reason. I have very low expectations for that. Uh, but yeah, it's 109 minutes long and you can watch it now. Thank you so much for listening to our show. Be sure to subscribe to Cinemaholics on your favorite podcast app of choice or find us on YouTube. See you all next time.